What happens when schools continue to lower education standards? They produce weak students. It's a sad reality that history teacher and former school board member Ted Lamb has witnessed firsthand over the past 20 years. What should teachers and parents do to strengthen their kids' minds and encourage their ability to learn? Listen in on today's episode of The State of Education to learn what your part is in reclaiming the quality of American education. Our guest today is Ted Lamb. Ted was introduced to me a few months ago, and I decided then that he should join the conversation we host around reclaiming education and culture in America. Ted is a history teacher. He also serves on his public school board. So, Ted, welcome to the State of Education. Well, we're excited to hear your story today, Ted. And uh, why don't you start by just sharing a little bit about yourself, your background, and the influences that caused you, first of all, to become a teacher? So, (laughs) initially, I didn't start out to want to be a teacher. Um, in, in high school, just like everyone else, I think it was kind of starting out with not sure what to do, but then you really wanted to change the world and, you know, all of that stuff. So, <laughs> but um, I got a good bearing, so because I went to Oklahoma Christian University of Science and Arts, started out as a social worker, but... Um, got there and realized, no, this is not going to work for me. Um, I'm going to wind up probably killing someone <laughs> just because I saw where a lot of the the uh, secular philosophies were starting to go into social work at that time. Um, I always had a knack for history, um, American government and Amer- American history Uh, grew to love world history as well. And I just had that, you know, when you are able to do something well and you can't explain it, that was it. So after doing a stint of social work for a semester, I thought, well, um, why don't you do something with history? And so I got my social studies education degree um, from Oklahoma Christian. Um, Several years later, uh, after we got back from um, South Korea, Seoul, South Korea, teaching English as a foreign language, my wife and I, um, I got my master's in special education. So uh, we've been back here uh, ever since. Um, Started out as a substitute in an alternative school, teaching students with uh, behavioral issues and, and currently even right now um, I, I am in an alternative school but I teach history uh, for students with special needs but what I really like to refer to more as behavioral issues um, themselves so that's how I got into education it, itself mm-hmm well, interesting so give us some highlights from your career as a teacher perhaps, uh, experiences that helped you, help you love your work, and maybe you've got some things that have challenged your desire and your commitment. Well, I have always been um, one that utilized primary sources and role play hands on activities, and very little of a textbook. That, I think, is more so because I had a sixth grade 
um, history teacher that used those things in class. Um, in fact, it was Tennessee history. I can't even tell you what the textbook looked like. Everything was just done that way. He was, it's interesting, he was a formal CIA agent and he did all the dirty work in, in uh, Europe, you know, mm. and uh, never told us about that. Just, he couldn't, either he couldn't or he just saw too much and, you know, didn't want to. But that really had a profound impact on me. So in my classes, we really try to, and I tell the kids at the beginning of every year that, um, you may not like history, but you'll learn something. Mm-hmm. And um, if you give me a certain amount of time each day, you'll pass the state mandated test and um, you'll pass the course. Not that it'll be easy, but you you will. And so we do a lot of role play, hands on activities. Uh, and what I mean about that is because when you say hands on activities, some people might think, oh, it's fun and games. no. What we do is, for example, we actually act out the Continental Congress and we will, I will present, say, the different taxes, the, the Teon tax, intolerable acts, and we'll role play that out. And before the kids even know actually what happened, um, they're assigned as a colony and we actually debate it out in real time. And it's interesting to see how, um, even though we are now 246 years removed, how students today still come to the same conclusions and arguments as founding fathers did too. If nothing mm-hmm. else, that just confirms what I call our DNA, <laughs> yeah. you know, here. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's what we do with that. I use a lot of primary sources um, in, in the class too. Uh, with regards to, because I think, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, you don't have to like what a primary source says, but it is what it is. I mean, yeah. y- you know, yeah. you, you don't have to like the speech of Alexander Stevens, uh, his uh, cornerstone speech that he gave, you know, in, in, in Georgia, right before the Civil War. You don't have to like it. In fact, I was appalled by it. But the fact is, that is history. Yeah. And that is, you know, uh, a part of history that maybe we don't like, that we don't want to talk about, but we do ourselves a great disservice and we don't learn um, about it. And so we're, we're hampered. Your second part of your question um, had to do with what, what have I enjoyed and what have I seen as challenges. Um, the one thing that I do enjoy is seeing a student, not necessarily grade-wise, not necessarily standardized test-wise, but a student that goes from point A to point B, and they start to get it. When they can start actually doing deeper level thinking and pulling things up and coming up with their own um, solutions and ideas to the problem, that is amazing, especially with the population that I serve. Yeah. Um, the challenge is, oh, where do I begin? And six hours later, um, the challenge is I've started noticing really in the last 12 years of a 20 plus year career that something was wrong. My students were getting incrementally, you know, uh, worse each year. And what I mean by that was 
getting worse because they had no resiliency skills. I mean, you know, they would fall apart at the simple criticism. Um, I noticed how technology was doing more of a damage of instead of it being a tool, it was used to start to get to the answer. Um, I noticed that behaviors were getting um, incrementally worse as well. And the expectations, the standards that we hold students to uh, started to get worse. And that is also how we have gotten to the point of where we've gotten to today. Um, you know, you want to talk about people will complain about, well, no one wants to work. Well, geez, for the last several years, what most people don't understand is that the lowest grade in many school divisions across the nation, the lowest grade that you could give a student was a 50. So, I mean, you know, what do you expect? If the expectation is this, you have now people thinking that they can do 50% <laughs> or yeah. zero and, and to be able to, to survive and live. So um, that really got me challenging with regards to what's going on and um, started looking at different educational models, questioning what I was doing and, and really trying to go deeper with how to help this. And I came up with some startling conclusions um, on, on my own. Which made me very lonely, too, because they weren't things shared with other educators and still not shared today. You want to talk to us about those things? Well, things, for example, I just mentioned about um, the uh, the 50 percent grade. Now, granted, there, I, I know a lot of educators that don't agree with that, but they don't agree with it because... You know, if a child didn't do any work, they should get a zero. Well, yeah, th that's true. We are in agreement there. But the fact of how that this is setting up a mindset and a mentality. So even though um, educators and not all educators I've talked to, but many, even though they didn't agree with that, but they would then turn around and say, but we have to have more accommodations for students to, in order to um, help them out because they're disadvantaged. You know, it's like you're you're setting up a value system here that that it clearly you don't agree with and that you're harming, but yet you want to go and give more accommodations just for the fact of they come from bad environments or, or something. Let me interrupt you for a second just for some clarity. So what I think I'm hearing you say is, um, yes, there are students who are disadvantaged or come from very difficult home environments or other circumstances that are uh, very challenging. Um, but I think what I'm hearing you say is that the role of the teacher should be to take them where they are and help them to work through the challenges and learn and grow and so that they can overcome the disadvantages and bring value overall to the culture and society. Maybe I'm adding that in here, but uh, rather than uh, where they are just handed a crutch or given another shortcut or something, uh, which maybe on the surface gives them a grade or gives them something that makes it look like, okay, we, we're helping them get through 
what's required on paper, but you're not actually helping that person work through the real challenges and problems and figure things out uh, as a person. Therefore, you are permanently handicapping them. Is that what I'm hearing you say? You're you're making uh, correct inferences on that. And I'll even go one step further with this. Um, You know, history does not prove to show that this new model does not work. It doesn't work. I mean, if you, you know, we just got done celebrating the 4th of July. If, um, go and read some of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. For example, one person would be John Penn. That's a name no one probably even recognizes or knows. But you want to talk about an individual that came from less than stellar environmental um, upbringing? It would be him. But, you know, of course, today the conversation is not so much that is difficult circumstances and that you can rise above. Now we turn around and we try to justify it. As you know, with things like CRT, critical race theory, um, the divisions that has developed and so forth. So now instead of saying being able to rise above circumstances, we demonize. We say that if you are a Caucasian student, we say you are part of the problem because you are the aggressor. And that has just as much harm to a student and their outlook and them rising to a higher level as just as well as the black student or the Asian student when you tell them that they are the oppressed and the victim. So when you add in all of these different things, and even now out west in Oregon, I believe, in some other western states, they're even now giving... um, pretty much uh, certain scores to for students based upon your, you know, your race or, or identity for like higher math. So, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. And the problem is instead of actually doing what we need to do, we've actually taken the standards, loaded it even more, and it, it may I say dummied the system down to make excuses broadly. And this is what you're beginning to see. I think what you've seen over the last two years is just the beginning of much worse if we don't turn this around. So do you think that those are common issues that most teachers that you talk to, or at least many, are these similar challenges that teachers are facing? And are there other challenges that teachers are facing? And and here's another question, because I don't we don't just like to talk about the problems. We want to talk about solutions. Right. Uh, so here's the question that kind of ties on to that. How can parents and teachers better work together for the students benefit? Yeah. So I, I am an admin for a, a group on Facebook, social media uh, called Conservative Teachers of America. And so these are like-minded teachers that see these problems and they try to address it the best way that they can. Unfortunately, I would say, um, if anyone has paid attention, um, education and usually educators themselves lean um, left. And that would not necessarily be a bad thing if it wasn't for the crazy philosophies that we're now putting in place. For example, if you identify as such and such, or you want to be that pronoun, or so forth, 
Um, you can. That is what's become the, the toxicity of, of everything. And so some other issues that's come out, especially with conservative teachers, we have tried to sound the alarm. And basically what has happened is that um, we get demonized, ostracized, um, pretty much defamed character defamation in many ways, and we're forced out. You, you're, you're gotten rid of. And that happens in uh, many school divisions, especially out towards West. Um, I, I've heard the stories of that. Um, and in other places, it might just be difficult for you no, to not say anything either. So, solutions. I, I'm glad you said that. Um, let me give an example uh, to the beginning of the solution process. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. then, uh, and then we can talk about more details of that. So, President Dwight Eisenhower... Um, as he was walking out the door, giving his exit um, farewell address, he had mentioned in there about beware of the military industrial complex. And I would think that for someone of his stature, I mean, after all, Supreme Allied Commander, World War II, his career was in the military. I, I would think that he would know the direction of where things were going, <laughs> you know. And mm -hmm. so he told us to beware of that. I would argue Today, we, I would say, beware of the education industrial complex that has developed. And the problem with that is, and, and this leads into the solutions a little more, is the fact that for the average parent out here that just wants to live, supply for their family, trust the teachers that they, you know, that they give their children to, um, the education system to educate them, um, the problem is it has become so uh, advanced, it has become so large that it's difficult for the average parent to actually understand. And where do you start to begin with all of this nonsense? A local school board budget could be several hundred pages long. And yet, as a school board member myself, when I was on there, you know, I would get a 178 page budget. And I would read through it line item by line item, several hours. Most people don't do that. So mm -hmm. for parents, we have to understand, start to understand a couple things. Most parents, I think, believe that if you just change the school board locally to fit what we want, then everything will be okay. No, because the federal and the state and the local are so intertwined Mm -hmm. That unless you understand the policies and education law coming from the Fed, the federal and from the state, you're not going to be able to to shift or change this. So we yeah. have to start attacking the elephant in the room one chunk at a time. And it's a huge elephant. So I would say small baby steps it, <laughs> as yeah. we go along yeah. here. So as parents, we need to be we need to get engaged as much as we can. I know we're busy and I know some of us are single parents and some of us are grandparents, mm -hmm. which, you know, is to the benefit of the system because they know that, you know, you can only do so much. So we need to educate ourselves with what this looks like, get a true assessment of what's going on. And then even if that education means that parents that have more time to, uh, to be more involved and to gain more information to help those that can't, we need to start doing that as well.
So we, we need an accurate picture of what we're facing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So um, let, me, let me just throw in here. That's one of the big things that we try to do here at Noah Webster is to try to provide resources and tools uh, so that parents, grandparents, educators, even legislators uh, can be more aware of issues, uh, hear perspectives on issues. Um, you know, we try to go and focus on uh, foundational practices, you know, those core practices and or principles, I'm sorry, core principles and best practices in education. And so, you know, through our blogs, through our podcasts and so forth, uh, these things can be very helpful and insightful, but nothing replaces uh, parents getting to know their teachers, parents getting to know their school board members. Would you say that's a true statement? Yes, and I would even go further and say that ultimately, one of the roles of being a parent is that you are responsible for the education and upbringing of your child. Where we have gone wrong is that we have said, oh, teachers and public school system, um, they know what to do because they're the experts. So we have piled a lot of things onto this system that was never intended to be. And so over time, unfortunately, school board members, um, administrators and teachers say, leave me alone. I'm the expert in this field. And so let me do what I need to do. We've got mm -hmm. this all backwards and skewed. So there's there's room for growth of where uh, teachers need to understand their role. Parents need to understand their role. And both of them needs to start working interchangeably. Because I tell you um, that if parents actually knew what was going on, uh, we would have a serious, um, if I dare I say, revolution on our hands. In fact, I think you're already seeing it in many ways now. Parents are mm -hmm. taking their children out. And if they actually really knew what was going on, you would see a watershed. And that day may still be coming. Yeah. Well, I think COVID uh, brought the school right into the living room and created a much greater awareness of some of the realities in our schools and many of our schools at least and uh, so has also helped to activate parents uh, and get parents involved which is a good thing because ultimately education is about our children and uh, their future and uh, and we have to put our children first and make sure that their needs and what's good for them is is taken care of first. So, you know, we applaud uh, all the efforts that are being made uh, at every level uh, for people to, to because at the end of the day, we have to have what's best for the kids. Let me switch gears just a little bit. Uh, Ted, what prompted you to run for school board? Oh, wow, that was, <laughs> wow, that was back in 2012. Um, you know, I initially started looking at running for city council and someone wiser than me <laughs> said, you know, you do that, you'll split the vote. We got a better uh, candidate. So, oh, that really helps my ego, right? Um, 
but they said, but you know, um, you're a school teacher and you've done well with uh, Neighborhood Watch. So why haven't you thought of that? And my response was, well, because I'm a four-letter word, if you will, in education, even though I'm a public school teacher, we homeschool. And of course, you know, anyone that has experience knows that homeschoolers and public school kind of, there's the unwritten uh, tug of war there. But yeah. nevertheless, I, I listened and I'm glad I did. And I took their advice. And so I dropped out. And on the next election cycle, um, I ran for school board with the help of, of many. And, um, and I got on there and I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be easy. Because, you know, I've already been a teacher for 16 years. This is going to be a piece of cake. I mean, what is there to learn anymore? You've done this. Stripe your field. I got in there. And even though I've got my undergraduate and my master's, I felt like I got a PhD because for eight years, which ended in 2020, um, for eight years, I had no clue <laughs> what actually happened outside of the classroom that affected the classroom. I mean, I, I had an idea and I knew things, but that really opened the eyes of how expansive uh, things are. And so... Um, so what promoted me to do that? It was a person that, you know, made that phone call is, you know, in politics, how things happen like that. And mm -hmm. I'm so glad they did because um, I was able to learn. And I think it's the reason why I'm where I am today of being able to explain to parents of, of how um, expanse and, and, and difficult that things are right now. And you're right. Uh, COVID, I don't ever want to see anyone get sick ill and, and die. I mean, COVID is a horrible thing. But I think the silver lining was exactly what you said, Mr. Adams. And that is that parents actually got to see what was going on. Because again, um, that was Pandora's box. The lid just flew open. You know, even though you had some teachers trying to say what was going on, I think parents was like, no, it can't be. <laughs> That's, you know, or not in my district. <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of, yep. and, and then when they saw it, it was like, oh, wow. Thanks for listening. Here at the Noah Webster Educational Foundation, we provide relevant conversations to educate and encourage you to engage with your local government and school system. Whether you're a parent, educator, legislator, or simply a concerned citizen, before we end today's program, here's a snippet of our next episode. And you have to make the difficult decision. Do I keep my children there and suffer the consequences? Or do I public or do I private school or do I homeschool? And those are not easy decisions, but you're going to have to make those. And it's not going to get any better on the public school side. Join the conversation today on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or visit our website at www.nwef.org.